And we learned about the call that God gave him at age 75 to go into a distant country, a place that God would show him, which would eventually be the land of Israel, the promised land, then Canaan. But as he arrived, he found a problem awaiting him in the land, the Canaanites. So he erected an altar and there God reaffirmed the call that, no, you're supposed to be here. I'm going to give you this land. But then famine struck and he took his family down to Egypt and God delivered him there from the hand of the Pharaoh. And he returned to the land that God has given him. And again, God reaffirms this call, which was twofold. Remember, a land that God was going to give him. And the second part of that call was the descendants of his in the future would possess that land. So that means he had to have an heir, right? He would have future children that would possess that land and that God would make a great nation from him. There was a promise to give him a son and that we know in reading back into that story from New Testament eyes that the Messiah Jesus, the Christ, would come through the lineage of Abraham and his descendants. But then we read in Genesis 11:30. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, was barren. She had no children. And all along, God had been promising him a son. So this became in Abraham his greatest desire, his driving passion, the dream of his life. And God always tests us with those things. He gives us a word. He gives us a dream. And then he will test it to see how faithful we are. We read in Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. He believed God in spite of all the impossible odds. But not at first. And that's what makes this story so relatable for us, because our faith isn't perfect either. We we look at these great men and women of faith in the Bible and we say, well, I could never be like them. No, they, they weren't perfect. And either was Abraham's faith. So I want us to look at Abraham's three sons this morning. Okay, remember the show, My Three Sons. Some of you are old enough to remember that show. Good show. I think there's a lesson in each of the three sons of Abraham. The first son, and and you see my little air quotes here. First son is Eliezer. Eliezer, you're wondering, I didn't know he was a son of Abraham. Genesis 15, 1 to 3. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abraham is thinking this thought because he has no son at this point of his life, 85 years old. And his great age, he's not going to have 
any children. He realizes that. I think he had another realization. At the end of chapter 14, remember, that's the chapter where he rescued Lot from his kidnappers and fought a battle with with an army to uh, rescue him. I think Abraham was doing some thinking at that point. Like, what if I was killed in battle? What would happen to the promise of God? Because I have no son. I have no heir to carry on. So then I thought the wheels in motion were going. And he looked at Eliezer, the, the chief of staff among his servants. And he began to say to God and think in his own mind, this is going to be my heir. This man who, when we were living in Syria that short time before they came on down to the promised land, is when they purchased this man, Eliezer. So what is Abraham doing here? I think he's a word I like to use a lot, settling. Settling for less. And we all do it. We just get lazy sometimes with the things of God. We've given up on our dream. Maybe we were young and God gave us a promise. Gave us a word, gave us a vision, a hope for the future. And then a lot of time passes and we just give up on it. It's not going to be fulfilled. What are we doing? We're going to enact plan C. So we come up with this plan, plan C. Rather than waiting for the person that God wants to bring into our life to be our mate, we just settle for a non-Christian. Or we just settle for some old job because we just don't want to do the training we need to do to get the job that we really are excited about. Or victory over sin. We just think in our minds, I'll never have the victory. So I'm just going to settle. I'm just going to be an average, ordinary Christian. I'm going to mess up a good bit of the time and still be in bondage in certain areas of my life. But overall, it'll be pretty good. We just kind of settle for less than God's best. So God repeats the promise to Abraham again in this passage. And I noticed in verse one, it's such a a lovely offer God is making. Abraham, I want to be your all in all. I know you really want a son and I know I promise that to you. But but what about me? I'll fulfill all your needs. When we find that we're settling for less, remember the promises. Remember what God has said to you in the past. Go back into the word of God and read the promises that God has there for you as a believer and stand on them. Talk to God. In verse six, the verse we didn't read, but it goes on to say that Abraham believed God and this was accounted to him as righteousness. That's a verse that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James quote from Abraham's life here. There's a second thing God does, and that is he cuts a covenant with Abraham. He cuts a covenant with Abraham. And let's read this mysterious passage in 15, 9 to 12. And then we'll jump down in just a moment. 15, 9 through 12. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, let's jump down to verses 17 and 18. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot 
with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt, the Nile River, to the great river, the Euphrates. Now, this is a very strange passage, right? Very strange to us in the modern West. But it was how you cut covenants in that day. Nothing unusual. A greater and a lesser would make an agreement together, a suzerain and a vice regent. And so what was done was an animal or multiple animals were cut in half and placed in. I want to picture this image in your mind on either side of a ditch and then you kind of line them up. And then the blood of both halves of the animals would flow down into the ditch. And then the lesser making the covenant would walk through the blood that it collected down in the bottom of the ditch that would you know, go up on the ankles and walk through that, making a vow to the greater to keep the covenant. To violate it would be under penalty of death. But this was different, this covenant. Everything was the same so far as covenants were made in that time and place. But instead, it's God, the greater one, who walks through the blood. I don't know if you noticed that, the the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch. Mysterious symbols for God himself walked through. God took the role of the servant, of the lesser here. And that's exactly what the Son of God does in the New Testament. He condescends to come to this earth as a human being taking on flesh. Then he died on the cross for our sins. And it's his blood that forgives our sin. God took the responsibility for the fulfillment of the covenant here, as does Jesus. So what does this mean to us, this unusual story? In New Testament terms, there's been a new covenant made by the Son in His blood. In a few moments, we'll take the Lord's Supper and we'll remember Jesus' words that He says, This cup is my blood shed for you, a new covenant that I'm making with you. It's God's promise to you. You just agree that it's true and pledge your life to follow the Lord. Don't settle for less than God's best spiritually. So are there any Eliezer's in your life today? There's one more thing in this section that we didn't read. Verse 16. You can go back and read it sometime. God reveals to Abraham during the making of this covenant that it's going to be 400 years before it's fulfilled. So he gives him a time frame. Not going to happen in his lifetime. Future descendants will possess the land. Why not then? It says that the sin of the Canaanites had not yet reached fullness. That God is patient. These were a very wicked people that possessed this land. And God decided because of their great wickedness to dispose them and give the land to his people that he was going to raise up. And so 400 years from then, Joshua would conquest and take that land and it would rightfully belong to the Jewish people. Let's look at Abraham's second son, Ishmael. Abraham was about to settle for less with Eliezer. And God said no to him. This man will not be your heir. Ten years pass. And then Abraham makes a mistake that we often do, too. When a lot of time passes, we do it ourselves. 
That kind of mentality just is really ripe in our culture. God helps those who help themselves, right? You've heard that phrase. The American spirit of conquering the West. That, that do-it-yourself. I'm a self-made man. An independent thinker. I am a rock. I am an island. All that stuff. And that's his mentality here. We grow impatient waiting on God and his timing God's timing seems so slow, so we just go ahead and take matters into our own hands. We do plan B. Plan A doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. So I'm tired of waiting, or I can't wait forever. I do plan B. Genesis 16, 1-4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now, this sounds bizarre, too. So the cutting the covenant sounds very unusual to our ears, as does this story here. But polygamy was very common among the wealthy in the ancient world. The offspring of the servant's then would go to the main wife and that those children would be her children. So we know that Abraham and Sarah went down into Egypt, right, for during the famine. And I said that I think that's an ill-advised trip. That's when they got Hagar. So she became Sarah's surrogate mother. She got pregnant. And now, technically, officially, Sarah has a child, right? So this is God's promise being fulfilled. We did this, Lord. We did this for you. D-I-Y. Do it yourself. This is Home Depot faith. You, you go to Home Depot and you buy the wood, you buy the nails, you buy all the stuff you need. Then you come home and do the project yourself. Sometimes it turns out okay, but is it as good as if a professional did it? Probably not. But yet we do this all the time. We do it ourselves and then we say, look what God has done. When God didn't do it at all, you did it. It's not the promise of God. This isn't how God operates. There are no shortcuts with God. There are no quick, easy answers to holiness. It seemed like a good idea at first to Sarah. Almost reminds me of Eve and Adam in the garden here just a little bit. But it wasn't a good idea. Problems quickly arose between Sarah and Hagar, and it got so tense that Sarah kicked them out. They did return for a short time and then had to happen again. And you know, the descendants of this son, Ishmael, are the Arab people today. And the descendants of Isaac, the promised son, are the Jewish people today, still hating each other after all those centuries. And a future war, unfortunately, awaits between these two peoples. Plan B never works. Are there any Ishmaels in your life? 
Now God wants to clarify something to Abraham. He says here, I want to show you why Ishmael is not the fulfillment of my promise to you. And he does two things for Abraham. The first is he changed his name. He changed his name. Genesis 17, 5. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. That's what the name Abraham means, father of many nations. You're going to have descendants, but it's going to be my way. And the second thing he did was gave him the command of circumcision. The command of circumcision. Seventeen ten Genesis. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So where changing his name gave him uh, new responsibilities. Changing this, ordering circumcision gives him a new identity. Let me read Romans two twenty eight and 29. A man is not a Jew if. He is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. You know what? Every one of us who believe in Christ this morning are spiritual Jews. Our identity is in Christ. We are Christians, which means little Christ. We're to be like Jesus, our master. So we work not in our own strength, but in his strength. DIY faith doesn't work. Do it yourself. Christianity is doomed to failure. Plan B doesn't work. So let's look at Abraham's third son. Isaac. Isaac is God's best Isaac is plan A. Where I choose to believe God's promise, I choose to believe his word to me, and then I wait for as long as it takes to be fulfilled in my life. This is beyond our ability. This is something that's of God. There's no manufacturing this. Just a little more energy, even a little more prayer. Just a little more nails in this spot over here and it'll be perfect. No, it's of God. So when have you had to trust God? There was only going to be God. You had no other uh, possibility for anything else. But when you put your faith and you wait, then Isaacs pop up in your life. Look at Genesis 17, 15 through 19. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. He wants to go back to plan B so bad. 
Then God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Abraham hears this, not just generically. You're going to have a son. You're going to have descendants. Sarah is going to bring you a child. And he laughs. He says to himself, I'm 99 years old. Sarah's 89 right now. The two of us have a baby together. That's impossible. And then Sarah hears about this and she laughs, too. Look at Genesis 18, 9 to 15. The Lord comes to Abraham in this passage, along with two angels. They look like men, but one of them is the Lord. It's a pre-incarnate theopony, an appearance of Jesus who appears to be a man. Okay, let's pick up the story in verse 9. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. They are in the tent. He said, then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Boy, that's a verse to grab a hold of today. I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. They both laughed at God. Have you ever laughed at some impossible promise that God speaks in your spirit or that you read in God's word that you know is for you. Isaac was born. And so he was given that name, Isaac. And know what that name means? Laughter. Isn't that fitting? Genesis 21, 6. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, Isaac. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. God did it. Plan A is always God's best way. And when you do it God's way, it always works out. And it's always on time. Not our time. God's ways and God's time always seem so slow to us, but it's always the best. He knows. So quit worrying and wait. It results in joy. You do it God's way. And you'll be full of such joy, you'll be laughing hilariously. few application questions for this week. Can you think of any Eliezer's or, or Ishmael's in your life right now? Any plan C's or plan B's that you're underway with? Think about that. If so, then repent and seek God. Just say, forgive me for that, Lord. I really messed that up. And it's never too late to start a new path in God's best. Another thing is, do you have any Isaacs in your life to praise God for? You've waited and God's fulfilled the promise in such a beautiful way and you praise him. Any Isaacs to praise God for? 
And then anyone here today need to pray for patience. You need help in waiting. God wants you to wait. He's telling you, wait, I'm going to fulfill it in my timing, not yours. So be patient. Think about that this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the stories in your word. They are so applicable to our lives. We, we see parallels that fit so beautifully. And we certainly see the parallel with a covenant you cut with Abraham and with the new covenant. And we're thankful for Jesus, our savior and redeemer. And as we enter into taking communion, have communion with you because you say you're present with us. And when we gather in your name, two or three, and your presence in a special way as we partake of the elements. So we thank you ahead of time for that. Do you still want to minister to us? Bless us, Lord, as we wait on your timing. As your purposes are fulfilled in our lives, in your way, in Jesus name. Amen.